Well, today we are entering the story of Noah, the story of Noah and the ark. And there's a lot of questions that come up with this story. And uh, we've been wrestling with some of those in Wonderful Wednesdays. Is this history or is this legend? Is this a local flood or some kind of large global flood? How does this, this story relate to other flood stories that we find from uh, ancient times? I had actually a lot of fun on Wednesday discussing a lot of that stuff. And this morning, I'm basically going to ignore all of those questions. Okay, part of the challenge is that when I'm teaching, I can answer questions and we can go a lot of ways. But when I come up here on a Sunday morning, I feel like my goal is really to proclaim truth. And uh, there's some of that stuff that I think is hard to know. But part of what I have to wrestle with as I stand up before you, whether on a trailer or in the sanctuary, is uh, I have to wrestle with what's God's truth for us. And what's God's truth for us as a people and as a group. And um, so today I'm going to like sidestep all of those questions and I'm just going to go with the story. I'm just going to trust the story and follow it where it goes. And um, uh, maybe dip a little bit into a couple of those questions as we go, but, but not very much. I want to just kind of stick through the story. Let's remember as we enter the Noah story that we are very early in Genesis, in the very first part of Genesis, before we even get a guy named Abraham. And, and let's remember what's been happening. God created the world by separating light from darkness, waters above by waters below, and the land from the waters below. And then God filled those things. So he, he light and dark, he put a sun and moon and stars and clouds. And uh, waters above, waters below, he gave us fish and he gave birds. And then in the land, he put plants and animals and people. Before he rested, God made humanity, and he, humanity he made differently. He didn't, he didn't speak humanity into to, uh, existence. He played in the mud, and he got dirt under his fingernails, and he made these people. And the text says, in the image of God, he made them. Male and female, he created them. And uh, that doesn't mean that we look like God, but what it means is that we're, we're made somehow to be kind of like God. Like, like this creative act of creating and filling, of ordering and filling... It's like God gives that to us and says, okay, now you keep this going. You are to order and fill. But the good creation that God made, maybe God made it good, but the problem is something happened to it. It's not God's fault. It's humanity's fault in the text. If you follow the story, the humanity messes it up, and now creation is uh, not as it should be, and it keeps getting worse. And the next generation, Cain kills Abel, People multiply, but the sin problem gets worse and worse and worse. And so the question is, as we get through the beginning part of Genesis, what is God going to do about this? So in Genesis 6, starting in verse 5, God needed to respond. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that his every intention and, and the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creepy things, the birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So God looks at this humanity he's made, and he sees wickedness. He sees their hearts. He sees they're continually drawn towards evil. The creation he had been made good is no longer good. 
what was good is now regrettable. So God says, I'm just going to clean the slate. We're just going to start over here. Whatever my purposes were for this is not living up to it. And so we're just going to go back. Okay, and really what he's saying is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring water from heaven and above. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unseparate the waters. I'm just going to bring all the water back and just start over. But there's this guy named Noah. Text says he was a, Noah was a righteous man and walked with God. I love that phrase, walked with God. The, the Old Testament uses it also about a man named Enoch, a relative of Noah, that he walked with God. What a great phrase to be able to look at your life and say, he walked with God. She walked with God, lived their life with God. So God comes to Noah and tells him the plan. I want you to build a big ark. Now, the word here for ark is not really boat. If you notice, the, the text doesn't really say, the, the English will sometimes say boat, but really the word is for ark. Remember, the ark of the covenant is not a boat. Okay, the, the word ark is really like a box. And it has length and width. There's nothing in the text that describes it as a boat. It's really just like a box. And he said, okay, I want you to make a boat this long and this wide and... They measured it based on cubits, which is about the measurement from your elbow to your fingertip, which even though there's major height differences between people, uh, normally your cubit is not that different between people, even that are of different heights. Then it made certain decks, and, he, and here's the description, verse 16. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to the cubit above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it a lower, a second, and a third deck. For behold, I will bring a floodwaters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which there is breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you. You shall come into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your sons' wives. And of every living thing of the flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. So it's a big rescue operation. Okay, I want you, you're going to build this box. It's going to take you a lot of years. But I want you to build this box, and then we're going to fill it with two of every animal. And then the text goes on to say, of every clean animal, you're going to bring seven. So, um, so of all the clean animals, you're going to actually bring seven. So Noah and his family built the ark. I wonder what his kids thought of the plan. As far as we can tell, Noah doesn't live by water. Okay? There's, there's not really a plan. Like, imagine somebody here in Newcastle is like, I want to build a giant boat. Well, how are we going to get it into the water? Well, don't, the water is going to come to us. Don't worry about that, son. You just keep building. I wonder what the discussions were like with the kids and the grandkids, right? Just keep building. But, you know, we're never going to be done with this giant box. We'll just keep building. <laughs> it takes a long time, in fact text tells us that Noah was 600 when the rains finally came. Genesis 7, 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were open. So we, the, the, we often think of rain coming down, but the text says there's water below and there's water above. And the rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same, same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Noah's wife and three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. And they and every beast, according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, 
according to its kind. Every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. So they all come marching in. Okay, are, are those, are, I've always kind of wondered if Mo, it did, did it take so long because Noah had to catch them. Like the text just says they went into the ark. So is Noah out there like, okay, Ham, here's what I need you to do. We still, we haven't got an elk yet. You better go out there and find the elk, right? Has he got a checklist or are they just sort of showing up one day? And then the Lord shuts them in. I love this moment. We sort of miss it in a lot of our stories. Not like Abraham is closing the door. Imagine God closing the door. Okay, God closes the door and says, okay, stay in there. Like whatever you hear happening out here, don't, don't you stay in there. You just have to imagine the trust, not just to build an ark, but then to go in there while God closes the door. And I guess you're just hoping the tigers are full, right? You're hoping like the, the amount of trust that Noah has as it rains for 40 days and 40 nights. By the way, when it stops raining, you'll see in the text, it takes a while before the waters can come down. Okay, it's maybe six months they're going to be stuck in this box with all these animals. Uh, Imagine the sounds. Imagine the smells. Imagine a seasick giraffe. Like, just start to picture some of these moments in your head of like, this would be a crazy, crazy experience. So it starts raining for 40 days and for 40 nights. And here's what it says in uh, 720. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth. And all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on earth 150 days. So we got like a month and a half of rain. Now we got 150 days of the water prevailing. Okay, there's a long time in there. If you think about it, you, you, if you, you probably haven't heard this story since you were in Sunday school, since it was on the flannel graph or something like that. And, and if you haven't heard this story in a while, this is the part that I, I'd never thought about in Sunday school, right? What do we do with God starting over with creation? With God drowning men, women, children? What about bunnies and horses and eagles? What do we do with this story as we look back at it as an adult? I don't know what to say to that necessarily. I'm not sure it's my job to defend the Bible or the story, but but I would make just a couple of points maybe to think about. Three points. One, this story comes from a world in which the gods were violent, whimsical, and cruel. The God of the Old Testament by contrast, is incredibly loving and gracious. 
I mean, the, the idea that a God would, would love, would, would make creation out of love, would spare any of it, would care about it at all. In other creation stories of this time, like the Babylonian creation story and the Enuma Elish, the, it, it even says in the text that, the, that man was created out of the mud to bear the burdens of the gods. In other words, you and I are mainly here just to be slaves to whatever the gods want. This is a god who's very different. And so we need to understand this, this story seems cruel, but in the context of its world, uh, it, it's very different. And the whole point of the story is that God is going to promise he's never going to do that again. Number two, I think we should take seriously this idea in the context of Genesis that all of the world is God's. It's his. He made it. He can do what he wants with it. That includes me. He made me. God can do what he wants with me. He can do what he wants with you. I think sometimes we, we sort of shy away from the sovereignty of God. It's his. He can do with it what he wants. What would we do differently in our lives if we started to really say, my life is not my own, it is God's. But this world is not its own, it is God's. And that means whatever I'm talking about in this world, whatever comes up in conversation this week, I'm talking about something that should be God's. Now, point number three here. What do we do with all this? Well, the, the, the one thing I think this story begs us to consider is the seriousness of sin. Sometimes I think we, we don't take sin seriously enough. Like we, um, we start thinking about this. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty bad at this. I think you probably are too. About saying like, well, my sins aren't that bad. Like a lot of times what we do is we compare ourselves to, to things that are on the news, the things that are really bad, things that you get punished for. But for the most part, people are pretty good, right? Or I say at least I am. This story is a reminder that sin is really bad. That when we live our lives in contrary to what God says we should, we're in direct rebellion against God. Okay, when we live our lives as if God doesn't really matter, we are saying to God, forget you, I'm going to do what I want, I'm going to be God, you are not God. And when we do that, it's serious. I mean, we can look back at this story and say, oh man, this is a really cruel, you know, seemingly overreaction, right? Or we could understand the seriousness of sin and look at our lives and say, man, it should flood again today. Like, I can look at this world and say, hey, you know what, this week, God probably should have poured it on. That's how bad sin is. So I think part of this challenge here is we've got to take sin seriously. So I, I don't know if that's a defense of what happens here, but I think it is some things to think about because of what happens here. But this story is not just a story of punishment. It's also really a story of grace. That God should wipe everything out. He should have wiped Noah out. He should have started over. We're going to see that. Sin continues. But he doesn't. The life raft, the box remains. And God protects these people and these animals and they get stuck on the top of a mountain. After some time, like maybe more than six months, finally God sends a bird out to sit, check out the situation. The bird comes back to nowhere to land. Sends a second bird out a few days later. Nowhere to land. The third bird, though, leaves. Never comes back because it finds a tree or something that it can land on. 
Finally, God told Noah and his family and the animals that they could go off of the ark. So Noah took some of those clean animals and he sacrificed them to God. That's why it's important he brought some extra ones, right? Because if there's just two by two, it's a very serious sacrifice. Like, I'm just going to sacrifice the last of this species and the last of this species. No, he, he brought some other ones with him, too. Genesis 8.21 says, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time, harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So no matter how bad it rains later, it's... It's not going to flood everything. That's the promise. And so he continues, God continues this covenant. In, in chapter 9, he says to, to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant I will make between you and me and every living creature of future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring the clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and and you and every living creature of the flesh and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh the word bow here you know he's talking about the rainbow but the word bow is not is is the shape of a bow is is based on a bow and arrow the term here in hebrew is the is the weapon so what god is really saying is i'm going to put my bow in the clouds okay i'm I'm never going to attack the earth again like that my bow, I'm hanging up my bow. I'm hanging my gun in the, in the clouds. And so it'll be a reminder that I'm never going to do that again. So, so the question then is, well, what is God going to do? Because he's still got a sin problem. And if you follow along in the story, the, the evil is just going to continue. You come to find out God wipes everything out, but still Noah and his family bring the evil with them. They're not perfect and neither are their ancestors Eventually, the evil grows to the point of the Tower of Babel. God confuses the language and communication of humanity to put a limit on how far evil can go. But do you see the setup here? You see what Genesis is doing? Humanity keeps messing this up. But but how is God going to fix it? If he's not going to wipe it clean, which is what he almost did with the flood, if he's not going to just start over, then how is God going to repair this problem? Well, Genesis continues. He's going he's to hatch this plan. It's going to start with a man named Abraham, and his family is going to be set apart in this world. God is going to spare them and bring their, them forward. He's going to get them not through the flood, but through the flood of slavery and even exile in Babylon. But the question still remains, even as you round out the end of the Old Testament, we are still people that are messing this up. Right? This is the problem that we all have. Wherever I go, there I am. And all my baggage I brought with me. And all my sin and my problems. You know, it's like the, uh, the, the meme I've seen. Like, uh, the only consistent thing in all your problems is you. And you might want to remember that you're bringing the sin problem with you. But everywhere God gives grace and makes covenants with with Adam, yes, and then Noah, and then eventually you're going to get Abraham, and you're going to get David. But humanity just can't live up to the expectations. So here's God's problem. How do I fix this? 
These humans can't do it. I'm going to have to do it. But, but how do I do it with a human problem? See, what we're setting up now. God's going to have to come and be a perfect human. He's going to have to set up what it's like to live in this kind of a perfect world. He's going to have to be a human to be able to fix the problems of this world. And do you know that in the early church there were a lot of there's a lot of artwork related to the ark and to Noah. Well, the early church picked up on this. So in their churches on the walls and and in mosaics on the floor and and even in their in their crypts where they would be buried um, in their casket on their caskets there would a lot of times be a picture of an ark and a lot of times it wasn't a boat early on it was more of a box there was this image that god is like that jesus really is noah coming to save us and there was this sense in the early church that you know what the church really is not just the building not just the property but you know what we are as the people we're the new ark. We're the new, we're the new way that God saves, that God spares, that God's redeemed. Oh, we look out on a world that is drowning right now. A world that is buried in sin. And maybe you feel like that. Drowning in stress, in life, in chaos, in pain, in evil, in debt. I know a lot of people that feel like they're drowning right now. But I know the, I know the perfect Noah. And I, I know the way on to this ark. And so, so the, the, what we need to do in this world is we need to beg with people, plead with people. Come into the peace of Christ. Come into the body, to the ark, to the church. Find peace, find healing, find wholeness. Come out of the rain. For Jesus is here to save. The church is here for a refuge. And yeah, it may get a little tight in here sometimes. There may be some smells and sounds that we don't always like. It may not be easy for us to work together all the time. There'll be hiccups along the way. But salvation is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And so to all those people out there, come out of the rain. And if, if you're here and you're feeling like you're drowning right now in your life and in your craziness, come into the peace of Christ. Come into the ark of his love and his grace. Find refuge in the shadow of his wing. May the story of Jesus, as it's reflected in the story of Noah, be our story as well. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.